great. Thank you so much. And let's thank, say thank you to Tara Oding, our Minister of Children. Keep sitting with that story you told us. Thank you so much. Kenny's line was, it was magnificent. It was magnificent, and it was. Amen? I hope we'll continue to be a place, a church, y'all, that um, makes room for more and more children uh, in this congregation, kids that are being dreamed about and prayed about and hoped for. I hope we'll be, continue to be a place that welcomes all of them. Um, so, one of the things I loved about that story, about that skit, is that the kids have invited us to think differently about the manger scene, to think differently about the nativity scene. Uh, they've invited us to think about it in a different way. They've invited us to play, if you will, with the nativity scene. I just want to take a quick poll. How many of y'all grew up in a household where there was a nativity scene present? All right, some of you were, some of you weren't. I was not raised in like a church going home, but I was raised in the South, so we still had our nativity scene, even though my parents didn't talk about what it was. It was out there. And so I'm just curious, when you think about that, if you had one, uh, or you can remember one from childhood, any, any kind of particularities or peculiarities about the nativity scene that was in your home? Maybe the sheep were cotton balls, or the cow was missing a leg, or the star plugged into the wall, it was a rainbow. I mean, what, what things do you remember from your childhood nativity scenes? Anything? Come on, I'm waiting. Parts are broken from misuse, from overuse. You weren't allowed to touch it? Anyone else not allowed to touch their, their manger? Okay. There was, it was glass, of course, so don't touch. Okay. Someone in the back. Is that Sanjay back there? I can't see. Oh. Did y'all hear that? He had to have a theologically correct nativity. I love that. So the, the wise men would come in, like, just not until after Christmas? Is that basically what happened? Oh, right. Okay. Cool. Someone said uh, at the first service that Mary, they lost Mary and they never replaced her. So it was always, she was always a one-person, a, one uh, a single-parent uh, household in her nativity set. Um, so, like, every, I wrote in the E! News recently that every preacher, every preacher has uh, a story about how kids have wrecked a nativity scene for good, right? You know the story, you, you set up the porcelain or glass, you know, or whatever nativity set that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation, the one that your great-great-grandmother brought over from Germany, that one, you know. You set it up, and it's just like perfectly arranged on the table. There it is. It's like curated. If you're like me, there's plenty of room for, you know, the, the sheep to be totally free-range. They're not penned up. They can just walk around and eat whatever they want to. The wise men and the wise women have room to sort of balletically bow to the, to the stable, to the, to the manger. You know, there's, the Christ child has been placed just so, so that your, your twinkling Christmas tree lights hit his face and make it just even that more angelic, right? And then you get that set up, 
And in households where the kids are allowed to play with the Christmas set, the kids come in, your kids come in, or your neighbor's kids come in, or in my case, my niece and nephew come in, and they totally wreck the scene because they play with it, right? They move the figures around, and so a toy dinosaur ends up uh, next to the sheep. Uh, on the chest of frankincense that the wise man had brought, uh, there is a Yoda sitting, right? Um, right? This goes on and on and on. And I think that because of that, people often say, you know, isn't that sweet? It's great that kids play with that story. Um, Christmas really is for the children anyway. It's really not, that story is cute. It's sort of a stuffed animal story. It's a story for kids. Christmas is for the kids anyway. But if that story doesn't really have enough power or significance for an adult life. Christmas is for the kids. And I just want to say I disagree. Um, in fact, I think one of the reasons that kids love to play with nativity scenes, one of the reasons that they leave their toys propped up against the manger, is because kids sense the power of that story. Kids, I think, and they won't, they won't be able to talk about this with you intellectually, uh, but I think kids have a sense, they're trying to work out as they play with that set, work out and, and revel in the joy that Jesus is like one of them. Jesus is like them. Jesus is a kid, right? They can identify with that. I think it's one of the reasons they play with mangers is because they sense the power of that story. They sense the power that God is one of them. And I think that whether they intellectually understand that or not, whether we intellectually understand that or not, whether it's possible even to intellectually understand it at all, that truth is the tectonic reality on which everything else is built. This truth that God showed up like us. God showed up. God is here. Right? God is not out there somewhere, wherever God lives, but God is here. God is with us. God is even in a really theological, theologically problematic way. If you've grown up in a church where like God is totally other and we are humans, I mean that that's an interesting concept, and we gotta stay with that a little bit. But that the story sort of problematizes that, right? Like God becomes like us. That's a beautiful and scandalous truth that God is with us, and I think. There's a lot more to Christian theology and faith than that, but that, like I said, is the foundation on which everything that is really real is built. That God is with us at the beginning of the story, that's the truth. Actually, at the end of the story, that's the truth. God is with us at the beginning and the end. And when we begin to let that sink in, that God is out there, not out there, but with us, that's when I think faith becomes faith. That's when, become, that's when, that's when um, your life can begin to change. There was a, a, a church bulletin cover posted on the internet a couple of years ago. I think it was from a Catholic church, actually, down in Florida. And I'm just going to read you an excerpt from their opening statement. They say, because God is with us, we open the doors of our church. And they say, this is just like I said, some excerpts from that, that, that um, opening statement. God is with us, so you are welcome. Whatever we bring, whoever we are, single, partnered, married, divorced, widowed, 
gay, straight, God is with us. Dirt poor, filthy rich, God is with us. No hablo inglés, no hablo español, God is with us. Hopeful, depressed, God is with us. Just browsing, God is with us. Just woke up, God is with us. Just uh, out of prison, just coming out of a hangover, just getting into recovery, still addicted, God is with us. Well-adjusted on the outside, looking good to everybody you pass on the street, but inside, internally combusting and breaking down, God is with us. And that's such a simple uh, and foundational truth, but maybe one of the hardest truths for us, for me, sometimes, to remember that God is with us. But when you, re- when you remember that, or maybe when you are met by that truth for the first time, and that begins to sink in, it is such utter spiritual joy that it, that is the thing that begins to change your life. As you relax into that truth, that is when you begin to change, and your life begins to transform. It is our tendency to resist that simple gospel truth. It is our tendency to resist the plain gospel truth that, as um, Ty was reading, plain gospel truth that on an ordinary night some time ago, God snuck into the world. God was aided and abetted by an accomplice, a young teenage woman named Mary. She aided and abetted God as God snuck into the world into an animal food trough in order to save us. That is uh, a beautiful truth that we love to dress up kids and tell. Amen? Um, But it's funny how, like, that's the truth we proclaim, but back then and now it is we do our damnedest to keep that truth from being welcomed. We gossiped when Mary got pregnant out of wedlock without a husband. We sent her 70 miles away to Bethlehem to be taxed when her belly was swollen. We taxed her after all the loopholes were still there. We taxed her actually at a higher rate than the rich folks in Caesar's palace. While she was there in need of uh, health services to help deliver her baby, we decided to defund the services that would try to take care of her. She had the baby, she was getting ready to have the baby, and she got to Bethlehem, and we hung a no-vacancy sign in the front of the Motel 8, so she had to go back out to the dumpster to deliver God with us, the Christ child, and all the while we made her feel ashamed from being from a different country. We try our damnedest to resist this story, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, we try our damnedest, and God still can. And God still comes today into our messy lives, my messy life, your messy life, the messy life of this city. Lord, help us. God still comes today. It is a delightful truth. It is a joyous truth. It is a scandalous truth that that's the kind of God who is God. Um, it's such a scandalous thing that I noticed a couple of years ago when I was, I used to live downtown, and uh, I was noticing a couple of years ago as I was walking around Daly Plaza and uh, looking at the life-size nativity scene, maybe you've seen it there, you know, there's the Hanukkah, 
menorah, which is beautiful. There's the big capital flaming A for atheists. I want to say I love, I have some of my best friends are atheists. I love, I, I, I love being in conversation with atheists, but like, you got to get a better symbol than the big flaming A. <laughs> Let's be a little more creative. Go for the solstice or something, you know, like, like go over the, the big A, really, in America with like the scarlet letter. I mean, that's just, you know, there's too much going on there. Right. So I love atheists. Um, but let's go for a more creative symbol. Um, and then there's the life-size major scene. So I, I noticed as I was walking around uh, the major scene, looking at the major scene, they've actually chained the baby Jesus to the scene. Like Jesus is locked into, I don't know if it's the case this year, but let me know when you're down there later today. Check and see if he's still locked in. Like, I mean, strapped down, which Jesus is like, there's chains over him, right? <laughs> And you know, you've seen that. You know why this, this is to make sure that no prankster will steal that baby Jesus and make off with them. You've heard about this trend. If you haven't heard about it yet, wait another three days, and the news. This will be the news story. That this is a cute thing at Christmas. Uh, just search like stolen baby Jesuses, and you will find news stories from the past like couple decades of, of pranksters that have made off stolen baby Jesuses, right? And so, because of that trend, that very troubling trend in America. Uh, concerned citizens and very important church people have decided to do something about it. And so they have, I kid you not, appointed security guards to make sure that the manger is not violated. They have uh, put in cameras under the angel wings in these nativity sets. And almost, they have, my favorite is they have installed GPS uh, devices. So, Lord, if you stole baby Jesus, we could track it down to your apartment in Lincoln Park. Here they come. Not, not, you know, that baby Jesus isn't in there. We put a GPS into his nostril. Uh, right? Uh, my favorite story, perhaps, though, I heard on the NPR broadcast about 10 years ago now. And um, this is from a police sting operation in a small town in North Carolina. I guess it's been a slow night there. They had, uh, in, in the, the wise use of their police funds, they had decided to stake out churches uh, to make sure that these Christ children weren't stolen. Uh, so there they were, like shepherds, watching their flocks by night. And then one night, as the story is told in NPR, one night, just after midnight, um, a pickup truck rolls by the front yard of one of these churches. And while the pickup truck is still rolling, a teenager jumps out. Can you see this? Like, jumps out, the truck's rolling, picks up the baby Jesus, runs back to the truck while it's rolling, hops in, and they speed down the road, right? They didn't know there was a stakeout. And so, a low, uh, a multitude of the, wait for it, not the heavenly host, but blue flashing lights and sirens, and they're pulled over these teenagers down the road a piece by these police officers. <coughs> And as they peer into the back of the bed of the pickup truck, there's not one, not two, not three, but six diverse Christ children peeping up. I love that story, not because I condone larceny, but because I think whether they meant it or not, whether they intellectually understood what they were doing or not, those teenagers had a better theology than most churches and most Christians do. They practice in an albeit scandalous and illegal way, they practice the truth that Jesus is never meant to be tied down. That Jesus is with us, like us, wherever we are. That God is with people wherever they are. In fact, I think you can think of the ministry 
of the church, the mission of the church in general, and I hope Urban Village, our basic ministry is to be building mangers in the world, all in the world, so that people, wherever people are, will hear the message that God is not out there, but God is here. That is essentially the, the, the mission of the church, to do some manger building in this world, so that uh, people will know that God is with us. And I don't mean like uh, uh, in the world like building churches necessarily, but I mean like wherever people are, that we go and tell the story of God is with us. Um, so that's your homework assignment for the next uh, few weeks as you round into 2016. Um, I know I'm leaving as pastor, but I still reserve the right for uh, 11 days to give you homework assignments. So that's my homework assignment for you. Next year, in 2016, where do you want to do some major building? As an individual, where do you want to tell people God is with you? As a church, where do you want to tell people God is with you? Last week, I was talking about um, a challenge, I think, this congregation is receiving to continue singing the song of radical inclusion that we know in the gospel, radical inclusion for people of all sexual orientations and gender identities, to sing that song well as we have been, but also to continue growing our capacity to sing a song of anti-racism and racial reconciliation and multi-ethnic reality, to sing that song better. So I, I was talking about that challenge last week. Today, my challenge for you as I leave is I hope that you will con continue thinking about how you will be evangelical, an evangelical church in this city. And I know that word can, is really fraught and can mean different things. What I mean when I say I hope you'll be an evangelical church, continue to be ever bolder, is that you will find fresh language, fresh and vital, expressive translation to speak the truth that God is with will bear that good news to more people, and that, as Anthony and David said, you'll be open to hearing that news from people who may be trying to offer it to you. That's what I mean when I say evangelical, to say something. You'll be a church that continues to say something about the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know that we mainline people are people who are skeptical, and I consider myself one of those people sometimes. We love that quote. I mean, lots of Mainline pastors have this in their offices, um, white mainline pastors especially. Uh, it says that St. Francis of Assisi quote, which says, you may have heard it, preach the gospel at all times, use words only if necessary. I feel like that is true, of course, like yes, words and action will always be required, but I feel like it's such a cop-out for people who are scared of saying something about God with us anyway. So I want you to hear from me like, don't be afraid. Challenge yourself to actually say something, right? I'm not saying, like, give someone a track. I'm just saying, figure out in your own language, in a way that's true and authentic to you and to me and to y'all, to say something. Because let me tell you, people actually are dying and longing to hear good news, to hear someone say, not just, like, not just serve them a meal. That's huge. That's important. But, like, to say, like, I see you, I want you to know that God is with you. People, I need to hear that. We need to hear that. So continue to be an evangelical church in that sense, okay?
That's my challenge. Do some manger building. Build your mangers in unexpected places. That's uh, my other challenge. I, one of the most unexpected places I saw a manger being built was at my wedding reception. My husband and I got, got married uh, many, almost nine years ago, eight, eight years ago, uh, eight years ago, eight, over eight years ago. Uh, he's not here right now, I can forget the anniversary. Anyway, um, it, just feels like it just feels like nine. Oh. Um, and so we, I feel like when you get married, like everyone should spend some money, spend some dosh on the thing you feel like is really important, right? So most people don't have a lot of money to spend on a wedding. We didn't. So we couldn't afford, like, excellent food. We, we, but we wanted to have a really good band. So we had a really good kick-ass band, right? Because we wanted people to dance at our wedding. And so I just want you to imagine, it's like 10 o'clock. The wedding happened at 5. We ate. We, we drank. We were dancing, right? And so it's like 10 o'clock. The, the floor is just pulsing with my, like, people from, like, my friends, Congregants to like my great aunt is there, and she, I mean, this is crazy. How do people sing this great band? And I'm dancing with Jonathan, and I look over and I see these two guys dancing together, and I was like, I don't know who they are, you know. And so I was like, maybe that I said, are those your friends? And Jonathan's like, I don't know. Who, I thought they were your friends. So we're dancing. I was like, I thought maybe maybe they're dates. Maybe there's someone, like, two friends dates who have, like, just decided to break, like, heteronormative values and, like, you know, like, but I was like, I saw, I saw, I thought I just didn't choir a little bit. So I dance over. I'm like, hey, it's my wedding. Who are you? And they're like, oh, my gosh, so sorry. Like, we came into the event space. We thought it was a restaurant right off Well Street in Old Town. We thought it was a restaurant. So we came in looking for a table about 930. And this woman that we thought was the host she said that uh, it wasn't a restaurant, it was, it was a wedding. And we turned to leave, but she said, oh, no, no, we've got plenty of food. Get yourself a drink, have some more dinners, get some, get some wedding cake, and get out there on the dance floor. And so they did. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder who that person was. About this time, my brother-in-law's mother, Mary Lee, dances over. And she's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad y'all met. I, I saw these folks come in, and I just said, we've got plenty of room here, so come on in and join the party. And I, Mary Lee built a manger in my wedding. So. It is, that's what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about telling people something that they need to know because you know it and they don't know it. I'm talking about creating spaces of invitation and radical hospitality and the quality of the gospel inviting people into that. It was scandalous what she did. It was scandalous for a southern wedding. You came into my wedding? But she was building a manger. So where are you going to build a manger next to your folks? Where are you going to build a manger as a church, as individuals? You probably have all kinds of ideas, but if you don't, uh, here are some places to think about. Where in this world are people longing for company and friendship? Build a manger there. Where in this city are people longing for liberation and justice? Build a manger there. Where in this city are people, maybe even including you, longing for honesty and interior healing? Build a manger there. I know you have other ideas. If you don't, come talk to me. I'll share some more. In the name of the one who showed us who was the God come to be with us. In the name of him, amen.